Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Ridge Church Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about us, check us out online at theridgechurch.net. Also, be sure to connect with us on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for listening today. So I got a question for you. When you think about religion, if I say the word religion, uh, what do you think of? You know, religion is a broad word that, you know, as we look at, there are so many things that go into it, but often it can be a very negative word in uh, how we look at it and when we grow up and, and our experience that lend towards it. So I started to think about what is religion and what did I think. So I want to give you a peek into my brain when I was younger of what I thought religion was. Because, you see, as a child, I grew up in the 80s. And um, that's when cable TV was born. So at that time, I was able, I remember the brown box perfectly. I remember all the, it was like 100 switches across the thing. And you would go through and you would watch any channel you wanted. And I remember at that time, I could look at it and see all these different channels. And a lot of them had like religious channels on there. And so I would flip through them and I would see different things. But in that, you know, I did not uh, go to church. So I took in all this kind of media and stuff that I had seen uh, from everywhere and kind of put it in my brain. And that's kind of what I thought when you say the word religion, that is what comes up. So if you look at this, this kind of is just kind of a snapshot of how my brain, and it's a scary place to go sometimes when you go into it and you see these different kind of pictures and what I think. Because when you think about religion, and when I grew up on religion, this was the kind of where it took me and what I thought of. You know, TV evangelists and this kind of uh, thing that were very popular back then. And there was, you know, corruption and all sorts of things going on with that. And it was something that was very confusing to me because I would watch it and I just, I was like, I don't understand this. You know, it was like, like sweaty people yelling at the crowd. And I was like, I just don't, I don't see uh, what, what's to like about that. And, you know, I look at different things of, uh, you know, just the scandal and the corruption. But uh, you think about the Pope, and I remember, you know, the era of Ronald Reagan and, the, and Pope John Paul II, and I remember seeing him on um, TV, and I remember people, like, bowing to kiss his ring, and I thought, that's kind of, that's a kind of odd thing to do, isn't it? Like, to kiss somebody's ring, it was like they were worshiping the Pope, and he, see, all these things, this is where my mind goes, and this is like how I kind of took in what I thought church was about, what religion was about, and all what that looked like. You know, some of these shows uh, that you watch or, you know, some of these preachers that you see even uh, talk about, you know, giving, like, if you want to be blessed, you should give. You know, that was like the thing that these pastors would say. And it was this prosperity gospel that we saw. And I don't know if you're familiar with that term, the prosperity gospel, but it is a false gospel where, where people, where they, they're asking for money and they kind of prey on people who are sick and are hurting and they say, you know, just give money and you will be blessed. And that is a false gospel that is not correct. Um, I have the, the privilege, one of our um, uh, college age students has gathered a group together and he's asked us to meet on Saturday mornings and he invited me to come. So it's a, a bunch of these young guys and me and we're watching Justin Peters as he goes through and he talks about this false gospel and the prosperity gospel and what it looks like. But it's very encouraging to me to have these young guys who are like invested in this and want to learn more about this so they can be on guard against this and see what false teachers look like. But that is kind of where I went when I thought about religion when I was younger. And honestly, it pushed me away. Like, I didn't want anything to do with that because it was just confusing to me in so many ways. Now, as I got older, the idea of religion was kind of a, a mess. And it just came because then I started to hear about, 
you know, worldly religions and other things um, that I saw from culture. And every religion had its own ideas. You think of like Buddha, like Hare Krishnas, and like you think, well, what is that? And even like reincarnation, Jehovah's Witnesses, like all these things I had heard about and just made me more confused in what I saw. So when it comes to Jesus, I had heard about Jesus, but he was just kind of lumped into all these other things. Like, I didn't know the difference and why, why he was different than all these things. To me, it was just a big mess of things that I had seen and heard about. So I'm like, okay, well, Jesus is just part of that, and I really don't know if I want anything to do with that. I started to see that people believe different things, and I started to believe that, well, whatever you believe, that is good for you. That's honestly my opinion as I got uh, into my late teens and even into my early college years that, you know, everybody has their own opinion. If you believe it sincerely, then that is good for you. And that's where I took. Why? Because it was easy. It was easy to say that because it wasn't confrontational. And I didn't dig in and find out uh, who Jesus was. It wasn't until I was 24 years old that somebody um, explained the gospel to me clearly. I was at uh, a stage in my life where I was broken over many things. And at that time, I finally understood who Jesus was. I'd become a new creation. I heard the truth about Jesus and the gospel, and I surrendered my life, and I became a new creation. It was my heart of stone turned into a chocolate chip cookie. You know, I thought that was a great illustration that Cassidy gave because, you know, for a kid, that's a, wow, I wish I could have a heart that's <laughs> a chocolate chip cookie. Um, but that's what happened. I was transformed. There are not many options. There's only one way. Jesus told Thomas uh, in the Gospel of John, in John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus said he is the only way. So when you look at this, I call it your pre-understanding, like what you grew up with, what you thought about religion, all that stuff. I want you to pick that up and I want you to set it over here. I don't want you to think about it because what we're doing is we're going into Hebrews and Hebrews paints a beautiful picture of who Jesus really is and why he came uh, to the earth and who he is in relation to us. And we get to dive into that today. Jesus is better than anything religion has to offer. So we'll see from the text today um, as we look in the book of Hebrews. But first, let's just review just a little bit. Um, in the book of Hebrews, we do not know who the author is. Um, it could be Paul. Some people think it's Paul. But there's stuff there that doesn't really connect with Paul. Like there's no introduction in and, and the way that he usually writes. Uh, but there are other similarities. It could be Paul. Uh, they think it may be Barnabas, uh, Luke, Apollos. Uh, any of these things could be. But in God's mystery, uh, we do not know who wrote this book. And um, I believe uh, Raleigh said it uh, so well. God wants us to focus on the text instead of who the author is. Because ultimately, the author is what? It's, the author is God. Because this is an inspired text from him. So we want to see uh, the actual focus is on the supremacy of Jesus as we look through this. So we don't know the author. And we also don't know who it's written to. Uh, specifically. Uh, it's not like Paul's letters, like in Ephesians, where it's written to the church in Ephesus. Um, 
but it's written to a wide group of people. We know it's written to people who are educated uh, about the Old Testament scriptures. And why is that? Because throughout this, they refer back to these stories in Old Testament scriptures. So it's obviously somebody who the, the, this group of people knows their scripture and they're well-educated. They were early Jewish Christians, uh, but they were failing. Um, they were falling back into the rituals and, and the... Um, uh, the practices of Judaism. So he was kind of putting them, the, putting them back on the right track in what he was doing in this, uh, as he wrote this book. So once again, the author is looking at well-known stories and showing that what? Jesus is superior. So he's more superior than what? The angels. And we're going to talk about that some today. And then we'll even see as we get into it later, not this week, he's more superior than Moses, than the rituals, than religion. He is superior above all. And that is so important. In chapter 1, in Hebrews, it was a focus on Jesus' deity, how he is God. Now, in chapter 2, it's a focus on his humanity, how he is 100% man. Now, see, that combination is extremely important. And both are equally important. Jesus is 100% God, and he's 100% man. And I know that we look at that and we're like, well, how, uh, my brain can't figure that out exactly. 100% and 100%, well, that is where we come by faith to understand that. He's 100% God and he's 100% man. And today we'll see that it had to be that way. It had to be that way. Um, so what is our big idea as we look at the text today? Our big idea is this. Salvation is only through Jesus. Salvation is only through Jesus. Um, now, as we study through the text today, I want you to be amazed at who Jesus is. And I want you to be looking at the, the, the aspect of salvation and how he connects with that. Um, salvation only comes through him. Um, this is the gospel message. You know, a lot of times we, we get up here and we speak, and depending on where we're on the text, we, we want to always present the gospel to you every single week. We want that to be clear to anyone who is here as we study through it. And today, this scripture is the gospel laid out that we are in. Um, I know it is a lot of text, uh, but it is one main thought as we go through, go through it. So we are going to look at uh, what we can learn about Jesus' role in salvation as we go through this. So let's start in verse, the first part, verses 5 through 8, and I want to read through this together. We will break this down, and then uh, we will take some points away from it as we go through it. So starting at verse 5, for it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come of which we are speaking. So let's stop right there for a second. Now as we go through this, I want to, there's a lot of information in these uh, in this text. So I'm going to go through, I'm going to do the best job I can to explain as much as I can to you. Um, so right there, it's who will have dominion over the world to come? So who will have dominion? Who will rule it in the world to come? Well, what is the world to come and what does that look like? Uh, if you think of the world to come, it's in the future. It's a, it's a, a new order after the sacrifice of Christ. It's the messianic kingdom, if you talk about that. If you're looking to the future, who will have dominion over this? Well, the answer that he is saying there is it will not be angels. It will not be angels. Verse 6. It has been testified somewhere, what is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. 
At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. Now, when we look at that text, you may rush through that, and you may get some initial ideas of what that is about. And I want to kind of explain that a little bit. It says, first of all, that it has been testified somewhere. And I think that's an interesting statement. It almost as if the author of Hebrews is like, well, I don't know. I mean, it's somewhere. I mean, I guess we have heard it somewhere. No, that's not what he is saying. He's, he's saying this is something important that I'm going to reference. But the key, just as we look at this and we don't know who the author is, the author is not important. What's important is the scripture that he is referencing. So it's been testified somewhere. Um, Yes, uh, we see again, focus on the authority of Scripture as we go through this. So as he refers back, what is man that you're mindful of him or the son of man that you may care for him? Uh, the author is making a point to show who originally had dominion over the earth. Now, when you look at that, you may think, well, he's, that's specifically about Jesus. Well, the author is using that to point to Jesus but actually, when that was written, it was from David in the Psalms. And what he was doing, he was talking about the wonder of how God gave us man dominion in the beginning over the earth. It comes from Psalm 8, 4 through 6, which says, What is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. Now, what he is referring to there is he's talking about Adam and Eve. He's talking about the dominion that God gave them in creation. This is a passage written about the wonder of God's care for man. What is man that God would love so much that he would do this, give him dominion over that? So let's look back at God's original design at creation in Genesis 1.26 says, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God was giving them dominion over what? He lists all these living things and then he says over all the earth. They are the ones that had dominion. But because of Adam, because of temptation, we are fallen humanity, corrupted by sin, and now we are enemies of God. That is the reality of what happened and what Adam and Eve did when they took from the tree. So what do we see here about Jesus and salvation that we can learn from this first part? The first thing we can learn is we are in need of salvation, and I think that is a great place to start when we look at this. Um, the author of Hebrews is pointing towards Jesus as the supreme, as the second Adam, if you've ever heard that reference. The first Adam was the one who uh, fell to sin, right? And the second Adam is the one who comes to redeem. And he will be crowned with glory and honor. So if we go to 1 Corinthians 5.21 through 25. For as by a man came death. So who is that talking about? That's talking about Adam. For as a man came by death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. So who's the second man? That is Jesus. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ we shall be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. 
Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and every power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. You see, the under his feet, we see that that is uh, just like uh, we just referenced in Scripture. So we are resurrected through the blood of Jesus. We are made alive in him, and he will put all enemies under his feet in his glorification. We are in need of salvation. And I want to pause there for a second because I want to say that again. We are in need of salvation. One of the saddest things to me is I have met with people before uh, who are having, you know, troubles, you know, in biblical counseling. I met with young people and I met with older adults. And uh, we go through and we talk about the troubles and then I begin and I share the gospel with them. And after that, there's been instances where they're like, well, that's just not, that's not for me, you know. Um, and some of them will say, well, I'm fine. I can, you know, take care of it on my own. And I've even talked to some people who are like, well, no, I don't need that. Like, my life is fine the where I am. And to me, that is like the biggest tragedy to me when you don't realize that you are born into sin, that you're an enemy of God, and that you need salvation. But when we share the gospel, we need to be patient. We need to understand that God is the one who has to reveal that to them. So as we share, we're hopeful, we pray, and we want them to understand the gospel. We are all in need of salvation. Um, So I would ask, where are you today? If you are here and you're like, well, I understand that Jesus is a good teacher, but, you know, I'm I'm okay, you know, I, I, I... got everything covered on my own, I want you to really reflect on that, of where our humanity is, and that everyone is in need of a Savior. All right, let's go on. Verses 9 and 10 in Hebrews. Uh, Let's see. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he... For whom and by whom all things exist and bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. Now that is a lot of information right there. So it says for a little while lower than the angels. So what the, he, now remember what I said, chapter one is talking about his deity. So chapter two is talking about what? His humanity. So when he talks about being lower than the angels, what is it talking about? It's talking about that Jesus has come as a man. Remember, he is 100% man, and he's 100% God. Now, if you look here, this is the first time in the, in the book that Jesus is mentioned by name. Now, all before this is referred to as the Son. But here, talking about Jesus, that's important because what he is doing is he's showing his humanity. This is his name, namely Jesus, and when he says that. Now, it says it was fitting. So what does that mean as it goes through this? It says, for it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, which that's a beautiful thing right there, to think about him bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of salvation perfect through suffering. So it was fitting. When you think about that phrase, what does that mean? That means only he could do it. He is the only one who could come and suffer 
die on the cross, and be resurrected. He's the only one that's 100% God, 100% man. He is the only one who could do this. And as we approach Good Friday and as we go into Easter, this is um, where we need to reflect on the sacrifice he made. But not only that, who Jesus is in that sacrifice. So what do we see here about Jesus and salvation? Jesus is the founder of salvation. Jesus is the founder of salvation. Different translations say it uh, like this. Uh, One says he's the captain of salvation, which I kind of like that. Uh, Is the source of uh, salvation, the pioneer of salvation. And one says the leader of salvation. All kind of referencing the same things in different translations. What? That he is the one who leads into salvation. He is the founder of it. One of my favorite texts is Philippians 2, 6 through 10, which really this encapsulates what we're talking about here. It says, who, uh, though he was in the form of God, talking about Jesus, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in the heaven and on earth and under the earth. He was the perfect sacrifice. And when you look at Philippians, the way Paul writes that there, that he was being born in the likeness of man, being found in human form, that is the important thing that we're talking about, his humanity. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, death on a cross. Romans 5.19 says this, For as by one man's disobedience, there again we're talking about Adam, the many were made sinners. So because of his disobedience, then we are born into sin once again. So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. So once again, just same thought here. Because of one man's sin came, because of one man, we can be made righteous. Understand Jesus, who is 100% God and man, could be the founder. He is the only one who could do it. So when you think about this as we go into this, as you take your pre-understanding of Jesus, set it over here, and then you start to look at this and understand the importance of his deity and the importance of his humanity. Are you starting to get a, a clear picture of who he is? He suffered and tasted death. And what does that mean? He tasted death. He experienced it. And then he defeated it. And that is so important. All right, let's go on. Verses 11 through 13. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. Now, once again, we see that the author of Hebrews is reaching back into the Old Testament, right? He's bringing text here to make a point. Um, First of all, he says they're sanctified. He talks about being sanctified. For he who sanctifies and those who he are sanctified all have one source. So what does that mean right there? So when you talk about sanctification and what that looks like, that means to be made holy. All right, so can Jesus be made holy? No, Jesus is holy. So what is it talking about there? It's talking about that he's sanctified because of his death, burial, and resurrection. He sanctified us. So he sanctifies. 
For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified, so that is us because we have been sanctified through Jesus, if you are a believer, all are sanctified, all have one source. So who is the one source that it is talking about there? It is God the Father, God the Father. Now, as you go on there, this is what's beautiful about this text right here and the reason that he is pulling in the Old Testament. He's, uh, it's talking about not ashamed to call brothers. And right there, you think about it, when he's pulling that text in and you think about that Jesus is not ashamed to call uh, as the body and then we are adopted in and children, not ashamed to call brothers and sisters, uh, is such a wonderful thing. And, such, and that should be one of those things that just like blows your mind because he's 100% God, 100% man. Yet he is not ashamed to call brothers and sisters, us brothers and sisters. Um, Psalm 22, 22 is this what this is a reference to. It says, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will praise you. I will praise you. So he talks about this idea is all about brothers and sisters, right? And what is it really about? It's about being adopted into the family. So that is the next thing we see here about Jesus and salvation. Salvation brings adoption. Salvation brings adoption. And that is the best news. The other text that here it references is Isaiah 8, 17 and, uh, uh, through 18. It says, I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob, and I will hope in him. Behold, I and the children whom the Lord has given me are signs and importance in Israel from the Lord of hosts who dwells on Mount Zion. Once again, that theme of children and being a family is what he is pulling in there. This idea of adoption is throughout the Bible and should give us comfort and hope when we think about it. If you think about a lost child or someone who doesn't have a family and you think about being brought into that family to be cared for and to be taken care of, that is a beautiful picture of what happens as Christ followers as we surrender our lives to Christ. We are children. He is our father. And then we are brothers and sisters with Jesus. Doesn't that blow your mind when you, when you really, really think about it? Galatians 4, 3 through 7 says, in the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of this world. Paul there, talking to the church, is talking about when we were enslaved, right, in sin, to the principles of this world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And this is the beautiful thing. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. When we are surrendered to Christ, when we become a new creation, we get the gift, the wonderful gift of the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. So you look at that, there's lots of good things that when you read that text. The crying, Abba, Father. You know, when you think about that, that translation is like daddy. It's like a young child looking to his father. But then it goes on to say, you are no longer a slave but a son. And if a son, 
than an heir through God. What, a, what an amazing thing to be made an heir to the kingdom. You know, when we talk about dominion and who has dominion, right, that is what an heir is. An heir has dominion when we look at it. The sense of adoption makes us a family. So if you think about your family for a minute, I'll just give you a minute to think about all the wonderful people in your family, right? There is, I think about my family and I have wonderful people in my family and then I have the people in my family I'm like, oh, they're hard to, you know, get along with. We all have family that, you know, is a wide range of people. And so that is the same thing in the, in the body of Christ. We have a wide range of personalities, wide range of different people that we are called to get along with and, and um, before each other. As community, and we talked about this just a couple of weeks ago, we need to be for each other. We are one body, and Jesus is the head. So two things to think about. First thing, we are family, and that means we are for each other. We have a common interest and purpose. A lot of times we find ourselves working against each other in what we are doing. But remember, we are on one body. That means we are for each other with one purpose, and that is uh, the gospel. We have one thing in common, that is Jesus. Number two, another thing to think about is he is not ashamed. Now, when you see that, he is not ashamed to call brothers and sisters. Uh, that is such an amazing thing. But then you think about, well, are you ashamed? You know, one of the things, as a Christ follower, we should not be ashamed of who we are in Christ. And a lot of times we find ourselves like, oh, I don't want to share the gospel because that's hard. And I don't know if I can do that. But we should not be ashamed. We see the, in Scripture that he is not ashamed of us. And you see the suffering and the sacrifice that he did for us. We also should not be ashamed. He is not ashamed. He calls us brothers and sisters. And we should not be ashamed. Galatians also said we are enslaved to the elementary principles of this world. So we are no longer a slave. But son and heir. And that is just amazing. So this is also mentioned next as we go into Hebrews. So let's see. Verses 14 and 15. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. So once again, as we carry on this theme, we see what? The children, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, that's talking again about Jesus' humanity, and that is one thing he shares with us, flesh and blood. Um, and then what we see here is through death, what? He destroys the devil. Now, what does that mean, to destroy the devil? Uh, it means render powerless. Render powerless is a good way to put that. So we should not fear. We should not fear enslavement to sin or death because of this. So what do we see here about Jesus in salvation? We see salvation brings freedom. Salvation brings freedom. And this is such a wonderful thing to think about. Freedom, what? From specifically the prince of this world. We talk about the prince of this world. Who are we talking about? The devil, which is referred to there in Scripture. Genesis 3.15, if we go back, we see that this was set way back in the garden. It says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between her offspring and her, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. There, 
God is talking to the serpent, and what? He is talking about what will come. There will be an offspring, and that will be who? That will be Jesus, and what? He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. So we see this battle that is going to take place. 1 John 3, 8. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. There, if we look at Scripture, that is Jesus' purpose, that he has come to what? To bring freedom. He comes 100% man, 100% God. He is the one who paid the price. And what? Brings freedom. And what does he do? Destroy the works of the devil. 1 John, if we go on, 4.4 4 says, Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. When your identity is in Christ, he has delivered you. But you have to make sure your identity is in Christ. Are you a slave to sin? Are you a slave to fear? Do you feel like these things are like dragging you along? Do you feel like there's chains that are holding you back and these sort of things? Well, if you're rooted and your identity is in Christ, you need to remember the truth that you are free of those things. Now, I'm not saying that's easy, but when you practice and you, and you go to him, you pray to him, you seek guidance, you need to rest in that freedom, rest in that truth that you are free from that. All right, let's go to the last two scriptures, 16 and 18, 16 through 18. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Adam. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Now, this section right here, the whole piece that we've been studying today is loaded with theology, and this piece right here is once again uh, so much in it that we could break down and look at here. Now, first we see a contrast here between angels and man. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Adam. Once again, bringing up the angels, right? But he helps the offspring of, of, of Adam, or offspring of Abraham, sorry. Jesus is the mediator for man, not angels. Not angels. If you go on there, this is the, the key to it. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect. Now, the key phrase there is he had to be made like his brothers. That was the purpose, and that is why he has come. That is why we, that he has come in his humanity. Jesus was, once again, I'll say 100% man and 100% God. This is how he could be the propitiation. All right? So as we've gone through... As we've gone through this text today, man, there's all these, we got sanctified, we got propitiation, we got all these things that, man, you guys could go off and talk to somebody and you sound like a theologian with all these words that we're studying today. So propitiation is the atoning sacrifice to satisfy our debt, God's requirement for sin. He is the one who paid that debt. That is what propitiation means. Now, when we look at that, and we look back to the Old Testament, we see a picture here of the high priest. 
Now, the high priest uh, was the only one who could pay this price for sin in the Old Testament. The high priest in the Old Testament had to meet qualifications. Uh, he had to be holy, uh, whole physically. That means he, couldn't, he had to be without defect. He had to be holy in conduct. And his most important duty every year uh, was the Day of Atonement. So he would enter the most holy place behind the curtain. He's the only one who could go in there and make an offering for sin, for his own sin and also for the sin of, of the people. This was the job of the high priest in the Old Testament. Now, when you look here, it is talking about Jesus is our great high priest. He is the one uh, who is making the propitiation. He is the one um, who is making the offering for sin for us. So what do we see here about Jesus and salvation? Salvation is from our merciful and faithful high priest. And I love that it says from our merciful, because yes, he is merciful. We don't deserve it. None of us deserve it. And he is faithful. He's made the promises. Salvation is from our merciful and faithful high priest. He is the propitiation for our sins. 1 John 4, uh, 9 through 10 says, Is this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him? In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us and sent his son to be what? The propitiation for our sins. God's plan in this whole beautiful picture that we look at when we read Scripture, God's plan is to send Jesus as an atonement. And what does that show? That shows his great love for us. And that should make you in awe of him. Not because of what he can do for us, but because of who he is. Because of who he is. Verse 18 then says, for because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Now, this is a beautiful way to end this scripture today. Because, why? Because he can sympathize with our suffering. He can sympathize with us. You know, when you think about a God and you think about religion, you think about all those other religions, all those other religions and people and, and leadership, they... They haven't suffered. They haven't paid the price. They can't sympathize the way Jesus can. He can sympathize with our suffering. We see this later in Hebrews, Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. I'd like to read this for you. It says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That is a wonderful promise there when you understand who Jesus is and you understand that he can sympathize. And then it gives us instruction there. And we'll be going through this deeper in just a couple weeks. But what does it say? We must draw near to the throne. We must draw near to the throne. 
So what is our next step today as we look at all this text that we've gone through? Our next step is this. Find salvation in Jesus. Find salvation in Jesus. It seems simple, but it's so important for us to do. Find salvation in Jesus. Draw near to the throne. We, as we go through this, I just want you to remember this. We are all in need of salvation, period. If there's one thing that I want you guys all to get to this, we are all in need of salvation, all right? Jesus is the founder of salvation. Salvation brings adoption into the kingdom, and what it also brings freedom. And one of the most beautiful things, and we do not have an impersonal God. We have a sympathetic high priest who is merciful and faithful. So if we look at that, what can we do? Number one, surrender to the founder of salvation. If you're here today and, and you're like, well, I don't know. Like you're talking about Jesus and I understand. And I have this pre-understanding of all these different things. I've heard about this church and this church and this church and this church. Okay, I want you to set that aside. And I want you to focus on what we've talked about today in Hebrews and the picture of who Jesus is. He is the founder of salvation. So the first thing you need to do is surrender to him. Why? Because he is the payment. He is the propitiation. Surrender to the founder of salvation. Number two, know that you are adopted into God's family. That is a wonderful truth. and should give you comfort and hope to know that you are not alone. If you have surrendered and you are part of the family, you are part of the body. You are not alone. That is why we meet together. That is why we worship together. That is why we have uh, life groups and teaching together. You are not alone. You are adopted into God's family, and you're an heir. And number three, walk in freedom from sin and fear of death. Walk in the freedom. So if you do one, you do two, know that you're adopted into God's family, but you, are, you just have trouble walking in that freedom and that sin and, and the fear. You need to do what? Come to the throne. You need to come to the throne, whether that means prayer, whether that means fellowship with other people, whether that means diving in, that means surrendering. I say surrender your life to Christ. I mean surrender. That means you're not in charge of it anymore. That means all these things that you're a slave to, you just give them up. If you're struggling with sin, you're struggling with doubt, you just give them, give them up. You surrender them. Every day in prayer, as I go through, and I, one of the last things that I do in my prayer time is I surrender uh, different things, and I do it every single time. I surrender uh, my family. I surrender, like, today, going through this message, I'm like, I surrender the message to you. I surrender all these things. Why? Because I want to give them up. I want him to be in control of them, and I want to say that to him. And I want to be led by the Holy Spirit. So all of these things, if you're struggling with doubt, if you're struggling with a sin, Give them up. Pray for freedom from them. Walk in the freedom from sin and fear of death. Matthew eleven twenty eight. I love this scripture, and I always try to come back to it as much as I can. Um, Matthew eleven twenty eight and 29. It says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. And I don't know about you, but 
rest for my soul sounds so wonderful. You know, in our lives, in our crazy, busy lives and what we do, we need to come to the throne. And this is an invitation, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden. That means if you're burdened down, come to the throne. Surrender to him. And what? You will find rest for your soul. Rest for your soul. So draw close near to the throne and get on your knees and surrender each and every day. Do it every day. Salvation is only through Jesus. Remember, he is the founder of salvation. He is supreme. Remember that above all. So go to him. Let's pray. Father, we just come before you today just so thankful. In our minds, we come to you with so much stuff that we, you know, drag in from the past, so many ideas and thoughts. But, Father, you have given us your word. You have given us the truth in Scripture for us to study. And we see a beautiful picture that you have given us here from the author uh, of Hebrews, of your son, our Savior, and who he is and what he has come to do. So, Father, I just pray for each and every person here. If there's someone here who needs to surrender to him, who is heavy laden, who is carrying um, sin and doubt, who is enslaved to that, Father, I just pray that today is the day that they give that up to you. They come before you. And, Father, we are just uh, so, so blessed that we get to be part of a family. We don't deserve it. Father, we don't deserve to be part of uh, this family but you have given us the opportunity. Why? Because you love us and you have demonstrated that love through your plan and your purpose of your son. So Father, we just always want to acknowledge that you are perfect in all that you do. And Father, we are not perfect. So Father, we just want to uh, love you and follow you the best that we can. So Father, I pray for each and every person here that as they go through this week and as we come to um, the celebration of Resurrection Sunday next week, Father, that we are thinking about that, talking to our families about that, and praying about that. And we come to you with a thankful heart. So Father, we love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for joining us today. If you have questions about this message or about the Ridge Church, you can contact us at info at the Have a blessed day.